Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And good afternoon. Thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, it's exciting to uh, to have you here on the show. Uh, and today is uh, Tuesday, June 14th. Uh, I'm coming to you live from a really beautiful day here in Washington, D.C. A couple of notes here on the show. Today we have Mark McIntyre, uh, who is a government grants uh, and fundraising expert uh, for uh, for nonprofit organizations who will be joining us here on the show, uh, but I do want to make a very special note to you uh, that uh, next week we are not here on uh, uh, on Tuesday, um, but uh, we are um, uh, going to be on Monday. Uh, we are going to be Monday, June twentieth at twelve noon, uh, and that's a very very special day, and that is because the Giving USA report, the first national look at the numbers, will be uh, here. Here on uh, June 20th. So make sure that you join us next Monday, not next Tuesday, at 12 noon. We're going to be wrapping up our series before the summer hiatus uh, with our show on June 28th with a very special show, uh, and that is Mike Johansson, who is an expert on Twitter and the use of Twitter for nonprofit organizations. Make sure that you join us. That will be Tuesday, June 28th at 12 noon. Now, we will be taking our summer hiatus. We hope that you'll be enjoying July and August with your family and getting some time off, uh, but uh, you will be uh, uh, able to join us back here on the Nonprofit Coach starting in September. Now, those of you who are familiar here with the Nonprofit Coach, and know that we start off the show with Page One News. Here on page one news, we're going to start off with uh, an article from uh, the uh, in Internal Revenue Service, the IRS here in the United States, coming us to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Uh, here on the uh, nonprofit coach, you can always uh, get the uh, uh, radio links over at tedhart.com and click on radio. Today you'll be able to follow along for us at, uh, uh, and learn that 275 groups lost their tax-exempt status. Now, this is something that we covered here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, for quite some time, uh, and that was it's been coming for a couple of years. There's a change in the tax code uh, that the IRS was specifically to uh, require nonprofits to make their filings. If they did not, they would lose their tax-exempt status. Now, the suggestion was that that could have been as many losing uh, their tax-exempt status, uh, but in losing uh, their tax-exempt status, it looks like it's about 275,000 organizations. That represents about 14% of charitable organizations in the United States now no longer having their tax-exempt status. What is significant there is that most of the organizations knocked off from the charity rolls are now believed to be defunct, uh, but if they do have donors, they will no longer be able to uh, provide them with a deduction for their gifts from their IRS reports. Don't forget that you can join us here on the Nonprofit Coach calling into our page 
two expert. Uh, when we get to page two, you can dial 347-324-3080. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, you can ask questions either by dialing in. When you do, press the number one. Make sure that you are raising your hand here on the switchboard uh, so that I'll know that you're not just dialing in to listen, but that you would like to ask a question. You also can join us over in the chat room. I see a number of people over in the chat room. Hello, everybody. Uh, You can ask questions there just by typing them out in the chat room, or you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Next up here on the uh, Nonprofit Coach, uh, I have a very special friend uh, that I want to uh, bring here on the Nonprofit Coach. Now, I want to set this up a little bit. There was a tragedy. Uh, Our good friends in New Zealand, specifically Christchurch, New Zealand, uh, back in February were hit by a uh, 6.3 scale uh, earthquake uh, in New Zealand. Uh, And just two days ago, they were hit with another 6.3 Richter scale uh, measure. Uh, earthquake, 4,000 aftershocks between February 22nd and just two days ago. Joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach is Clive Pedley, uh, who is the Managing Director of Exponential Philanthropy in New Zealand. He is joining us from uh, New Zealand, at where it is 4 a.m., so he's quite a trooper to join us here. But what he he's doing today is over in the radio links, you will find uh, a copy of a very important report that his firm has put together uh, entitled, What Has the Impact of the February Christchurch Earthquake Been on Fundraising, Donor Behavior, and Charity Decision Making? You can get a copy of that report yourself today at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Uh, right now, it's my pleasure to welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Clive Pedley. Clive, thank you for joining us all the way from New Zealand here on the nonprofit coach. Good morning, Ted. Very nice to join you. Well, good morning indeed. It's uh, 4 a.m. for you. You're quite a trooper to uh, help us understand. Now, uh, the uh, uh, aftershocks continue, and 6.3 is quite an aftershock following February uh, 22nd. This has got to be rattling some nerves. Yeah, and we've got to remember the first major earthquake was all the way back in September uh, 2010. So it's been uh, nine months really since uh, the first unsettling uh, major earthquake. And as you rightly point out, a lot of people very unsettled uh, and have been living a very long time with constant uh, unsettledness and aftershocks. And the entire central business district uh, is still cordoned off now for nine whole months. Uh, and over one-third of all buildings in the central business district, only in Christchurch City, I should add, uh, are going to be destroyed. So the entire city is going to need to be rebuilt in the years ahead. Well, that's uh, that's got to be quite disturbing. Now, turning to our attention to your report, these are very important questions uh, that you are asking um, specifically about uh, giving in New Zealand. Now, tell us, what did you learn in this report? Uh, Thanks, Ted. Yeah, so the the key thing here was that following the major earthquake in February, a lot of charities were very anxious about what they should or should not do in regards to their non-disaster fundraising. As you would expect, New New Zealanders are very generous by nature and uh, gave an incredible amount of money uh, for the size of the population, uh, many, many tens of millions of dollars to this uh, cause uh, and all of the different fundraising that was occurring. So many non-disaster charities were very anxious to make a good decision about what to do next. We presented a lot of organisations with international uh, historic data about donor behaviour and the key statistic that was present was that 75% of donors to disaster uh, giving uh, do so as an extra gift and it doesn't affect their normal fundraising uh, and donating behaviour. But people in New Zealand felt that no, this is different, the scale is so much greater, this is 10% of our economy that's been impacted and wanted further reassurance. So we spoke, uh, we did two extra things in addition to the international data. Uh, We spoke to a lot of philanthropists directly and we asked them if they'd been impacted and what would change uh, for them and the short answer is that they had responded generously but would not change their giving behaviour. And the other thing that we did is we uh, engaged with a wide number of charities and asked them for direct feedback on the two months following the February earthquake and what had actually occurred for those who'd continued to fundraising, uh, continued to fundraise. And the really, uh, I guess, key thing was that, uh, as you would expect, 
that New Zealand donors are, are no different to general international trends and that a large number of people continue to give generously to charities they were already connected to. Now, um, Kiwis are known for being very generous to other international relief efforts. Uh, has the world been generous to New Zealand, and does New Zealand have what it needs to recover? Uh, we, there's still a whole lot uh, to occur, as you would imagine, uh, between insurance companies and the government uh, and key financial uh, institutions are still working out exactly who's paying for what. Uh, one of the other significant factors that uh, is that it was only a few weeks uh, afterwards, that the Japan tsunami occurred, and that, of course, was uh, on a much more significant scale. So our attention, as far as an international audience was concerned, was relatively short-lived. Um, but there has been a very generous response to um, some government initiatives to seek support from throughout the world, and a lot of generous uh, expat Kiwis uh, have uh, initiated uh, fundraising, and that has resulted uh, in what I suspect now is around about $100 million worth of donations, which are certainly help, but um, the whole rebuild is going to cost our economy about $15 billion. Uh, clearly, though, insurance and government will take care of the majority of that. Christchurch is still hurting. Um, is it true that uh, a good portion of this effect on New Zealand is fairly located on the South Island and that the, the North Island is recovering quicker? Uh, definitely true. So Christchurch is our second largest city um, and about 10% of our economy. It is uh, approximately halfway down the uh, east coast of the South Island. The effects of the earthquake were only felt in Christchurch City. So a relatively small part uh, geographically of our country has been impacted in any way. Well, uh, Clive Pedley, the Managing Director of Exponential Philanthropy in New Zealand, great to have you join us today. Uh, our best wishes to all of our friends uh, in New Zealand. Thank you so much uh, for bringing us here on The Nonprofit Coach, this very important report and insight into what is happening to giving um, following the Christchurch earthquakes. Clive Pedley, thank you for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. You're very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Back here on page one news, uh, you can follow along at tedhart.com, uh, and uh, you can uh, see in the radio links today uh, that email voting, uh, email voting can be a trap for nonprofit boards. Uh, coming to us from the nonprofit quarterly, uh, this is very good advice. Uh, now that uh, a lot of uh, charities and very busy nonprofit boards of directors uh, are scheduling uh, their meetings and are not always able to be face-to-face -face, uh, in their board meetings, uh, they do try to find other ways to connect their board members. Well, read all about it over in the radio links today as to whether or not you are in compliance with your own bylaws, if you are in compliance with your state laws, uh, because as it turns out, there may be a prohibition to proxy voting, uh, email voting, that is, uh, is uh, a proposal circulated and responded by email, uh, is often essentially viewed as a proxy vote uh, delivered electronically, and are you able to do that as an organization? Good set of questions, uh, some answers, and some tips provided to you over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach uh, is another um, a good uh, report, and this comes to us directly from CNN. Uh, and what they are stating over is uh, over in CNN uh, and in our radio links today is that Twitter is the new Facebook. Uh, and what they are saying is that with all of the uh, the uh, uh, whirlwind of the last week, and we won't get into some of the political uh, implications of uh, people using Twitter, uh, that uh, those that are using Twitter, uh, summarizing uh, this uh, this report, is that uh, the utilization, the information that is uh, is provided uh, for uh, is uh, starting to make. 
Twitter at least a rival for Facebook in the sharing of information, uh, make sure that you are uh, including this in your overall plans. Now, those who listen here to the Nonprofit Coach uh, know where Facebook and Twitter fit. Let's go through the five pillars of online success for nonprofit organizations. That is, first of all, a well-designed website. Uh, next is a GuideStar strategy if you're a charity in the United States. Third is a LinkedIn strategy, then followed by Facebook and Twitter. So make sure that you have all five uh, at least being worked upon, uh, but you need to start with number one, number two, number three in that order if you want to succeed online for your organization in the opinion here of your host, Ted Hart and the Nonprofit Coach. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, it's my pleasure uh, to uh, bring here on to uh, the show uh, another good friend of this show and someone who I'm looking forward to uh, seeing uh, in just a few days, uh, and that is Monica Morante is here joining us from the AFP Central New York chapter over in the radio links today. You'll be able to go directly to the page where you can register for Fundraising Day in Syracuse in Central New York. But here live on the Nonprofit Coach is Monica Morante. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Ted. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, Monica, thank you for enjoy, inviting me, and thank you for coming here on the Nonprofit Coach. Tell us all about Fundraising Day, when it is, and how people can register, and what's being planned. Well, uh, here in Syracuse, New York, um, which is uh, just, uh, just a little bit north of, of New York City, <laughs> uh, in, in uh, central upstate New York, we are celebrating Fundraising Day on Wednesday, June 22nd, huh. and uh, our oh, community our uh, our keynote speaker is uh, your very own Ted Hart. Um, we're thrilled. That you're uh, it's going great. To I'm really place. looking forward to being back in uh, in central New York. Uh, thank you again for 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 having me. Now this is a very big deal for Central uh, New York chapter of AFP Fundraising Day is a, a big activity for you. Uh, tell us historically how many folks you've had and where this fits within your overall educational mission. Well, it's it's a it's a wonderful day for uh, not for profits uh, to network and it's sort of a, a retreat day for us. Um, AFP has two um, you know flagship uh, celebrations throughout the year. One is fundraising day, and the other is National Philanthropy Day. Um, National Philanthropy Day, we we kind of invite. Um, uh, big community donors who've made uh, an impression with their, their philanthropic work. But Fundraising Day is more of a workshop for, for those of us who actually uh, spend our time um, raising money uh, for, for others, the actual you know, people in the trenches. And we're thrilled to uh, you know, have you uh, join us this year to talk about green philanthropy and the ways that we can uh, you know, transition um, further into you know, the e-philanthropy the e movement. Um, we have gotten a terrific response in years past, not only from uh, people who are traditionally viewed as, as fundraisers, but from board members, from volunteers who want to learn a little bit more about the organizations that they're associated with. So uh, it's been a, a terrific, successful event in the past when we're really looking forward to, to meeting some new people this year. Well, that's great. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, to joining you in Syracuse uh, on Wednesday, June 22nd. We have a link over in the radio links today. Um, all of our listeners are encouraged to come out. I'd love to see you, and I'd love for you to uh, join me in Syracuse next week. Uh, Monica Morante, thank you so much for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach, letting us know about the important training that's taking place just next week up in Syracuse. Thanks so much for having me, Ted, and thanks for joining us for Fundraising Day on behalf of, of uh, our AFP board and all of our members here in Central New York. Looking forward to meeting you. Absolutely. See you next Wednesday. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, coming right back into the radio links uh, today, uh, you will find a new service that's being offered by Adobe. Now, those of you who have been listeners for a while know that I am a big fan of MailBigFile.com. For those of you who need to send big files to donors, supporters, and board members, and it won't be supported uh, by your mail service, you can use MailBigFile.com forward slash free. Of course, I like the free version there. Uh, and they will uh, allow you to upload your file and then send that along in an email or share that with others. Well, one of the downsides to MailBigFile.com is a relatively short period of time that that link will exist. It's only about five days, and they only allow um, uh, a limited number 
of downloads for that service. Well, Adobe Send Now has just been released, and it's a little bit more vibrant, uh, so we have provided a link to you over in the radio links today. Of course, they have paid versions as well if you would like to do that, but you can now send a, um, a file up to 100 megabytes, quite a large file, uh, and uh, 100 people uh, can download that file, uh, 100 downloads per file that you upload to that. Read all about that and all the other values that are available at Adobe Send Now. All that information is available in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Now I'm excited. It's always wonderful to uh, uh, to to bring uh, new supporters here to the nonprofit coach. Uh, now this uh, firm has had a long association with Blackbot, one of the premier uh, providers uh, in the nonprofit sector, and I'm absolutely thrilled today uh, to welcome Ryan Klushkoff here to the nonprofit coach. He is the director for fundraising and CRM solutions uh, at Blackbot, and today we welcome. Blackbot as a brand new sponsor of the Nonprofit Coach radio show. Ryan Klushkoff, thank you so much for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you very much for having me, Ted, and congratulations on your 10-year anniversary this year. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, this is—it's uh, great to uh, uh, have the opportunity to be working in social media and online fundraising for the last decade. Of course, Blackbaud has uh, has been a partner for much of that, working with me uh, with the E. Flansby Foundation, now P2P Fundraising and the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, Ryan, thank you for joining us uh, as a sponsor of this show. We have a lot of exciting things that we're planning with you, uh, some that we'll be announcing uh, in the fall that's uh, really, really exciting. But today I had a question for you. We will be uh, uh, sharing your sponsor message later on in the show today. Uh, but uh, at this point, I just wanted you to share with my uh, my listeners here today, uh, Blackbaud points itself as a one solution. Uh, what does it mean if, for Blackbaud to be a one solution uh, for uh, nonprofit organizations? Well, Blackbaud uh, offers a broad portfolio of easy-to-use fundraising and CRM solutions that are all provided by one vendor and available as one solution. So we pride ourselves in that we are capable of providing nonprofits with all of the tools that they need to successfully navigate the journey that they need to take their supporters on, whether it be from targeting and identifying who their best potential supporters are to communicating and educating them on their message, helping them raise more money, and showing them appreciation and then keeping them retained. All of those, all of the tools that are needed to accomplish all of those tasks are available from BlackBot, so there is no need to go to multiple vendors and multiple solutions. We pride ourselves on being a one-throat-to-choke company. Well, that's terrific, and of course, having all of the variety of services that you provide, both in traditional formats and online, provides a lot of options uh, for charities, both large and small. Blackbot is, has a long history of being an innovator, uh, partnering with others and bringing new tools to the marketplace. Again, I want to thank you and welcome you as a sponsor of the Nonprofit Coach. We look forward to working with you uh, not only over the next several weeks before the summer hiatus, uh, but also some very exciting things we're going to be doing together in the fall uh, that we'll be announcing a little bit later on. Uh, thank you for Thanks joining us much. here. Yeah, well, thank you, Ryan, for joining us here live on the Nonprofit Coach. We're going to head on over to wrap up page one news. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thank you. Next up here and wrapping up page one news, I just want to remind you that we will be very quickly moving on to page two. Uh, over here on page two today uh, is our page two expert. You don't want to miss the opportunity uh, to listen to and ask a question of Mark McIntyre. Uh, I'll be introducing Mark in just a few moments, but he is a nationally recognized government grants expert. And if any of you need new money, uh, you certainly need to understand the very tricky waters of Washington, D.C. and how you can uh, get money out of the U.S. government. Last up here on the nonprofit coach uh, is a notice for you, uh, and that is that there are positions available. There are jobs available uh, through the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. 
Uh, very pleased to providing you uh, in the radio links today. Uh, job announcements. They are looking for a resource development manager. Uh, they are also looking for a program development coordinator uh, who will be in charge of grants. So the person who gets that job uh, certainly needs to know of the wonderful resources uh, available from Mark McIntyre and his firm, Russ Reed. Uh, if you know of someone or if you are interested, you can apply, and the information is right there online in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Don't miss the opportunity to apply for the wonderful new positions uh, at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. We're now going to move right on to page two news uh, and our page two expert. Don't forget, you can dial in today at 347-324-3080. Press one to raise your hand on the switchboard. I see a number of people on the switchboard. I'm going to assume that you're just listening if you don't press number one. Uh, you can also join us over in the radio in the uh, chat room today or just email your questions to tedhart at tedhart.com. And now... On to page two. Mark McIntyre is the Senior Vice President and Director of the D.C. Office of the Russ Reed Company. Uh, he is a nationally recognized expert in grant writing and in specific to U.S. government affairs. Uh, he opened the Russ Reed Company's government affairs office in 1994 after having worked on Capitol Hill in the White House and in the private sector. Immediately prior to joining the Russ Reed Company, Mark was Vice President at Cassidy & Associates, the largest independently owned public affairs firm ever established in Washington, D.C. He previously served as Chief Staff Writer to the then Vice President George Bush from 1986 through 1988 uh, in his presidential campaign transition and inauguration. Mark began his career in government as press secretary to Rep Representative Robert Livingston, who is now retired, who became chairman of the Full Appropriations Committee, an award-winning writer. Mark's articles and editorials have appeared in USA Today, Boston Globe, Chicago, and so forth and so on. He is a frequent uh, contributor to OnPhilanthropy.com. We are really thrilled to have Mark McIntyre here, uh, not only as a national expert, but a friend of this firm. Welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Mark McIntyre. Thank you, Ted. appreciate you having me on. And I'm actually coming to you from uh, underneath the uh, dome of the U.S. Capitol building. My goodness, well, you're, you're, you're making it all authentic for us today. Uh, not only you're, you're an expert, but you're right there uh, in the U.S. Capitol. So thank you for joining us here today. Now, I want to ask you to start off, um, to share with us a little bit about uh, this very specific division of Rush Reed that you created in Washington, D.C., and what you try to do for nonprofit organizations. Yeah. Well, it's hard to boil it down in one soundbite, but let me uh, do the best I can. Um, in essence, we view the federal government as the uh, world's largest annual potential donor. Um, so this year, even though the mantra, if you follow the media, is all about uh, cutting spending and cutting the federal deficit, uh, at the end of this fiscal year, uh, the Congress and the federal government uh, will spend in excess of $3 trillion. And so... Um, what we invite our clients to ask is, as a nonprofit leader, are you getting your fair share of that uh, $3 trillion? And so we help position our nonprofit clients in the path of those federal dollars. And there are a variety of ways to do that through congressional appropriations, through comp competitive grants, and through discretionary grants. I think it's easy for nonprofit organizations when they see what's happening uh, in Washington in a, a lot of ways. I think uh, even uh, a novice viewer would would view things as essentially broken in Washington. The federal government does still operate uh, every single day. Part of that operation is to partner with nonprofit organizations throughout the country. But isn't it a lot harder today uh, for organizations? Doesn't it take a lot more strategy to be able to get those federal dollars? Well, that's a great question, um, because last November, uh, when the Republicans retook control of the House and when they made significant gains in the Senate, they changed the rules, if you will. 
And so this Congress passed a two-year moratorium on what are known as line item earmarks. Um, what I can tell you, um, because as I said, I'm on Capitol Hill right now uh, with a client, is that as we've begun to meet with members of Congress since January, they're absolutely dedicated to directing dollars toward worthy nonprofits. And of course, um, every agency um, has a huge budget to spend, and so they do that primarily through um, competitive grants and through discretionary grants. But to your point, um, if, you've, if your listeners have seen the movie uh, True Grit, uh, there's a great line at the end of that movie uh, where the central character says, these are lively times, and I can tell you here in D.C., these are lively times. So charities need to stay on their toes if they're interested, in, and I've often referred to federal government grant writing as grant writing by the pound, uh, the amount of paper that you have to create um, for federal grants far exceeds almost any other type of fundraising. But once successful, uh, if you have the outcomes, is this, as you said, something that's a, a little bit easier to count on once you are a proven entity? A absolutely. I, I sometimes tell my clients that the best federal grantsmanship book ever written was written in, was written in 600 B.C., by Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Uh, there's a great, obviously there's a lot of great wisdom there, but one of my favorite passages, he says, infiltration is always more effective than assault. And essentially, the Russ Reed uh, Washington, D.C. office serves as the trusted advisors, the trusted foot soldiers uh, here in Washington. So the very first thing that we do on behalf of every client that's pursuing significant federal dollars is we conduct what we call a resource inventory where we really drill down in our nonprofit clients' strengths and needs as they relate to pursuing federal dollars. We then match those funding priorities with the federal agency funding priorities. We scour uh, the president's annual budget every year um, and look for additional funding opportunities. In other words, which accounts are going up, which accounts are going down. Um, we research previous grant-winning applications um, from similar organizations for similar projects so that we have a sense of who's winning and what's winning. Um, we participate in agency briefings to gain additional intel on what the agency's priorities are. Again, um, people often view the federal government as a monolith um, and as, as a bureaucracy, which of course it is. But each of these agencies are run by program officers, and we get to know them and get to understand what they're looking to invest in. Um, like like all ahead. fundraising, Mark, isn't this is very much a people business? Even though the federal government is huge and large, you know, very impressive buildings in Washington D.C. and that can seem daunting. Uh, this is still a people business, isn't it? Um, that, that's a great way to um, characterize it in, in two words. And in, in fact, what, what I was just going to uh, get to is that in addition to the work on the agency side, in terms of infiltrating. Uh, the decision makers in the departments that have all of this money to spend. We also go to Capitol Hill, which is why I'm here today, um, to mobilize members of Congress as the congressional champions, and of course their staff, um, on behalf of our uh, clients' um, grant applications. There's a uh, kind of an urban legend out there that when members of Congress weigh in on behalf of a grant application, that somehow um, that is, is not liked at the agency. Um, the reality is um, that there are uh, political folks uh, in every single agency who at some point in the process, typically at the end, um, review these grant applications, and um, they weigh in um, on behalf of who wins and who loses, who gets funded and who doesn't. So we work both at the agency level and at the congressional level to advantage our clients. 
Now, question, uh, Mark, for for large organizations that that have budgets to be able to hire a, a firm like Rust Reed, there's clear benefits to that. Is there any hope for smaller charities? Are there some advice that you can give them in terms of uh, where they might start and how they might uh, make inroads into possibly submitting to one of these grants? Yeah, good question. The, the reality is that many of our clients are would be considered uh, smaller nonprofit organizations. So we represent, as an agency, food banks. We represent, um, as an agency, faith-based um, homeless shelters. Um, we represent other smaller social service agencies, colleges, universities, hospitals, medical centers, et cetera. Some of them are quite small. Um, the short answer is that all because a nonprofit organization is small does not mean that it's not doing valuable work in its community, its region, its state, and the federal government is often willing to invest in those initiatives because they realize the value. Again, it goes back to viewing the federal government as the world's largest potential annual donor and in any uh, major donor effort, whether you're pursuing an individual, a corporation, or a foundation, what's the very first thing you need to do, right? You need to ask. And so we help a lot of smaller nonprofit organizations um, pursue federal dollars. In fact, over the last 17 years of the Russ Reed uh, D.C. office, the, the vast majority of our clients are are nonprofit organizations that when they hired us had never received a dime of federal dollars. Mark, um, how, in theory, uh, the the uh, U.S. government has a website, grants.gov, uh, that in theory is supposed to help um, organizations and individuals maneuver through this uh, this uh, myriad of application processes. And one of the links that, that I, I'm a fan of, of looking at uh, for any of our listeners that go to grants.gov is right on the homepage they say new listings, uh, let me just say, new opportunities this week and new opportunities this week they have 137 uh, new opportunities this week where do you start and what do you think of that that website grants.gov is it really what the federal government meant it to be yeah well you'd have to ask the folks who um, put it online Um, but the the spirit of your question is absolutely grants.gov is something that we use every day it's a great website however um, it's also the lowest common denominator. So we have folks on the Hill um, every day. We, When I say folks, our clients on the Hill every day and our clients um, working with the different federal agencies actually to help shape um, the grant process um, because they've become true partners of the federal government. Another point I wanted to make about pursuing dollars from the federal government, and that is that like any other major donor, um, once they've given to your organization, once they see that you are good stewards of their dollars, once they see that you can actually accomplish with additional dollars uh, what you state or pledge that you can, um, they're like any other uh, potential major donor, they tend to want to give to you again. And so, sure, uh, grants.gov is great, but it uh, it only goes so far. Right, and then then you need uh, you need some expertise. So again, thinking of uh, charitable organizations, all the the uh, the listeners uh, to this show uh, who may be looking for uh, a way to expand their fundraising, and they've maybe never uh, dipped their toe into government uh, fundraising uh, at all. Um, is it wise to be thinking of federal support, or should they be looking to their state uh, governments or their local governments first? Is there any correlation between the two? Yeah. Um, again, most of the nonprofit organizations who have become uh, Rust Reed clients uh, over the years have come to us because they realize they've done everything else they can possibly do in terms of local fundraising, state fundraising, major gift work, direct mail, TV, whatever, and they realize that there is this behemoth potential donor, i.e. the U.S. government, and that they've never pursued dollars there. And so 
our clients view our work as creating, opening up, and expanding a whole new aspect of their fundraising portfolio. Um, and so, again, um, absolutely, the even in this uh, age where uh, everyday members of Congress talk about you know, cutting the budget, cutting the deficit, the reality is that at the end of the fiscal year, the federal government will spend $3.1, $3.2 trillion. And the question is, as a nonprofit leader, am I getting any of that? And, and what kind of strategies do I need to uh, to do to get there uh, for that process? Uh, Mark, you you had mentioned earlier that uh, that you've been at this uh, in the Russ Reed Washington office, running as the director of that office uh, for 17 years. Um, how would you characterize the current environment and what you're seeing right there under the Capitol of uh, the uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, Capitol Dome today? Uh, versus what you've seen over the last 17 years, what's what's yeah. different? What's the same? Well, again, that's that's a big question, but let me try to boil it down for you, Ted. Um, you know, the way I experience Capitol Hill and the way I experience uh, federal agency de- decision makers on a day-to-day basis is a lot different than what we see um, caricatured on the evening news and on some of the uh, among the talking heads on cable. Um, here's what I've experienced, not not just at Russ Reed, but I've lived and worked in the city now for 27 years. It goes by fast. Um, the vast majority of members of Congress and their staff, the vast majority of federal agency decision makers uh, want to be good stewards of federal taxpayer dollars. Um, I haven't met a member of Congress yet or an appropriations staffer yet or an agency program official yet who says, you know, I've got an extra million dollars here to waste. Um, They're especially, especially in tight budgetary times, they're looking for trusted, worthy, nonprofit organizations that are doing good to great work and helping transform um, the lives of poor people um, who need um, help in terms of, um, and, and they want to help nonprofit organizations who are feeding people, housing people, curing diseases, um, creating jobs, educating people. And so the environment, and, and believe me, I'm old enough, Ted, to have lobbied, believe it or not, when we've, we've had multi-hundred billion dollar surpluses and multi-hundred billion dollar deficits. Every year is a quote-unquote tough year. Um, because it's always competitive to go after federal dollars. And the the reality is what I said uh, at the top of this answer, which is members of Congress, agency people are looking to invest in worthy um, nonprofit organizations that are serving people. We're going to take a, a brief break here, Mark. When when we come back from the break, if you could share one or two tips for nonprofit organizations who have never approached or have maybe even been a little bit leery of looking to the federal government, what are the one or two first things they need to do either internally or externally uh, to help their organization succeed in these murky waters of federal grant writing? We'll be right back from the break. As you heard over on page one news today, we're absolutely thrilled to welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach a new sponsor of the show, and that is BlackBaud. Do you want an easy-to-use solution to raise more money? Well, BlackBaud can help. BlackBaud is one solution from the world's leading provider of fundraising and CRM software for nonprofit organizations. With BlackBaud, you can raise money both online and offline with the help of built-in fundraising best practices. You can focus on your best donors with BlackBaud's really exciting new innovation, the Giving Score. You can connect with your supporters with integrated e-marketing and social media tour tools. Now, we do have a link over for you over the radio links today at tedhart.com. Click on radio. You can also go directly to blackbaud.com forward slash raise more money and find out how you can raise 
more money with BlackBot. Thank you again, BlackBot, for being a sponsor here on The Nonprofit Coach. We're going to head back to the show. Hey, Mark, we're back. Um, so how did nonprofits get started? I mean, where, where do you start thinking through all of this? Yeah. Um, if I were the leader of a nonprofit organization, large or small, and I wanted to get involved in pursuing uh, federal dollars, I would first – just three quick, quick tips. Number one, I would, I would focus on the need that my organization has and I would have an absolute drop-dead understanding of what those priority funding needs are, number one. Two, either with my existing staff or with an agency like Russ Reed, I would analyze what relevant federal agencies are funding. Because, again, whether it's a private donor or, the, or a federal agency, they want to fund your organization to meet their own objectives, like feeding people, housing people, educating people, curing diseases, et cetera. And then three, like anything else in life, it requires significant commitment. So as the leader of a nonprofit organization, I want to make sure that, be, that before, I be, before I go down this road um, that I'm willing to invest in the process, that I'm committed to the process because this is not a magic show, right? It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of commitment, and you need to see it through. Uh, uh, Mark, we have an uh, email question that came in from Pat in Chicago, uh, and she's wondering what's a reasonable size grant that you can expect from the federal government? Yeah. Kind of um, a broad question, but. It, well, it is a broad question, and um, it, it really uh, runs the gamut in terms of size. Again, it's it's primarily driven by the needs of, of the agencies. Maybe this will help, Pat. Um, we work with a large uh, domestic uh, social service agency, and they provide um, a variety of services, just about every social service you can imagine. We looked at three different major grant opportunities for them recently. Um, one was where the, the the, uh, the the grant ceiling was 650,000. Another was three million. Another was eight million. Um, my encouragement to Pat and to others um, would be this: uh, fish where the big fish are, right? So it's just as hard to get a federal grant of fifty thousand dollars as it is to get one of five hundred thousand dollars. So look for the more significant grants and Going back to what I said earlier about stewardship and commitment, um, your organization has to be large enough and capable enough to spend those dollars and be good stewards of those dollars um, if you if you win the grant. So, well, let's let's dissect what you just said because I, I think right right there you said something that's very very important, and that is maybe I'm I'm paraphrasing you a little bit differently. Needing money isn't isn't enough. There's lots of organizations getting in line. It's are you going to be successful in being the one to pull off what that particular agency feels it needs to succeed? Exactly, um, matching up your objectives. Um, with the objectives of the donor, which in this case would be um, the Department of Justice or uh, the Department of Labor or Health and Human Services. So do you advise the three you know, very large agencies that you just mentioned, do you advise that for you know, smaller organizations that you know, may not be, feel that they're in a position of using uh, a firm yet or using a, a firm at all, that they, they sort of pick one agency or maybe one agency a year and kind of make themselves a, a student of that agency? What are they trying to, uh, to do? Because there's so many different offices within these agencies. I mean, take, take uh, Health and Human Services by itself. They don't grant – or correct me if I'm wrong, they don't grant as health and human services. They grant as a variety of different program offices within right. health and human services. And each and every one of them has a staff that then guides those grants. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, and, I, and i got to tell you, um, you know, you started out by asking the question about uh, what recommendation I would have for folks 
uh, who essentially are out there trying to do it on their own. And I, I think that's become somewhere between a difficult and an impossible assignment. I, I a, a nonprofit organization, if it's serious about pursuing federal dollars, uh, needs to infiltrate the federal government, and to do that, you need boots on the ground in D.C. But having having said that, Ted, to answer your question literally, um, sure, um, if if there's a smaller nonprofit um, that believes that it would that its programs would match up with one particular federal agency, I would try to find a way either digitally or over the phone or come to D.C. and actually meet the people responsible for the various grant programs uh, that I might apply for. Well, I, and I think that's that's important, trying to put this in context uh, for nonprofit organizations that might feel a little frustrated by what uh, by what you you just said. But if you if we kind of wind it back and you put it in a different context and you think of it, if you wanted to uh, very purposefully and successfully um, affect a piece of legislation, and you were uh, a nonprofit organization uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, you're not necessarily sitting in Omaha, Nebraska, going to be able to really affect that piece of legislation without having some sort of advocate uh, on your behalf who's in actually in Washington, D.C. and knows how that works. And that could be either your local congressman who sort of becomes your, your conduit, or by hiring uh, a lobbying firm or someone who knows the halls of Congress uh, and knows where to go. Isn't that the same kind of thing that you're talking about here from the nonprofit perspective? And maybe charities aren't really used to looking at it this way, that if you want federal dollars – um, you're either going to need to go to your local congressman and get that person be your advocate and hope that they have any power uh, in Congress because while they seem powerful, they're, they're one of uh, hundreds of, uh, of congressmen and senators who, who quote-unquote have power, or you hire a firm who becomes your advocate, knows what office to go to, and knows how to maneuver that. Otherwise, you could just be burning up a lot of energy. Right. Um, the, the reality is that um, members of Congress – um, both representatives and senators often don't know how um, to pursue federal dollars, not because they're bad people, uh, but because they're busy people. And the reality is that essentially every Russ Reed nonprofit organization client is a member of an association. And often we work with uh, their association um, either to drive uh, policy decisions or to pursue funding. And by the way, our experience and our relationships on Capitol Hill in the appropriations arena have been instrumental in achieving policy successes for nonprofits um, because dollars often drive policy. So on behalf of both individual nonprofits and on behalf of um, nonprofits who are members of an association, uh, we've helped with tax policy, we've helped with uh, regulatory uh, policy and by the way, you you began this program today um, at the top of the hour by talking about all these different uh, nonprofit organizations that have lost their tax exempt status. As you read that headline, I thought, huh, boy, those folks really uh, needed a lobbyist because how did that happen? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So here, that, so that here I am, Ted. Yeah. Four hundred, two hundred and seventy-five are now gone. Uh, uh, Mark, we've got one uh, one additional quick break today. When we come back, I, I want I want you to sort of muse on this a little bit again for our listeners, um, thinking in terms of the federal government and those who are already receiving grants. My question to you when we come back from the break is: Is the die already cast? Is the money already uh, expended, or could charities have a fighting chance at getting in on some of the work that's being done from DC? We'll be right back from this break. thank the good folks at givengain.com for continuing to be a supporter and sponsor of the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Over in the radio links today, you'll find a couple of links from Give and Gain. Uh, one specifically asks, are you on the list? What's really impressive about the work of Give and Gain uh, is that they are developing an international list of nonprofit organizations that are able to utilize their tools to raise money. They are creating the most integrated, largest social networking 
networking and tools for nonprofit organizations. Now, just to remind you, those of you who have been listening, is that the good folks at Give and Gain are offering their services free until January 15th. What they're doing here in North America is bringing the solid tools that they've developed throughout Europe and South Africa uh, here to North America and giving you an opportunity to sign up for free user trials. Uh, all of this is available, of course, in links online. You can go to tedhart.com, click on radio links, and you'll be able to get all the information about the hand-holding, the information that they'll be providing to you in the tools that will include secure online donations, inspired fundraising, online publishing, donor management for both online and offline gifts, and their built-in communication tools that do include mobile giving as well. You'll get six months for free, but you do need to make sure uh, that you sign up. Space is limited, and applications will close on June 30th for these North American user trials. So for all the charities throughout North America, make sure that you go to the link today. You can also find more information directly at GiveAndGain.com. We're going to head back to the show. Hey Mark, before we took the uh, break, you were making uh, the case for you know you have to produce, you you have to be good at what you do, and uh, and and to to get money renewed, you're certainly going to have to prove yourself. But is the die already cast? Do the large charities already have the money all sewn up, or is there really an opportunity on an annual basis for new charities to seek funding from the federal government? It's it's almost a hundred percent the latter. Um, this this process of pursuing federal dollars and securing federal dollars is highly dynamic. In fact, when people ask me, what do you like best about your job, in addition to the folks who I get to serve, the nonprofit organizations who are trying to make the world a better place, it's how, di- how dynamic the process is. Every year is different. Every budget cycle is different. Every administration is different. Uh, just think about how different Washington is today than it was uh, before the November uh, 2nd election. And, um, as I said earlier, essentially every Russ Reed D.C. client when they came to us, had never previously received federal dollars. But they had significant needs. They saw what they were doing in their communities and in, the, in their regions, and they um, took a leap of faith and bought into the promise that the uh, federal government actually is looking to invest in worthy nonprofit organizations. In fact, um, recently we helped a major international NGO get a $3 million grant because it was a new partner. Um, not just that they were good and capable, but that they were a new partner for USAID. So I would encourage the listeners um, who have never pursued federal dollars to realize, hey, if we're doing good to great work in our community, in our region, in our state, um, and we have a significant need, um, we should talk to the federal government about how to fund it. How do you prioritize um, the the, the department? Is it just your mission and what you're doing? Or you mentioned uh, USAID, and and that that comes out of the State Department, which is probably one part of the federal government that a lot of folks wouldn't think of. Um, So do you need to think creatively, or do you go to the obvious choices? Um, Both. Um, You know, there are are some obvious um, potential funders. Uh, based on the mission of a nonprofit organization. And what I tell folks is, you know, with a lot of hard work and an ounce of creativity here and there, um, you can find significant dollars uh, from sources that you might not otherwise uh, think of. So, for example, but go ahead, Ted. No, I was just going to say, isn't that always the case? You know, think think creatively. Don't don't just uh, go, you know, the, the logical path. Absolutely. Um, the reason I'm on Capitol Hill today is because we represent uh, an organization involved in uh, educating uh, young people, specifically low-income people, and um, we're talking with uh, folks on the Hill who serve on the Armed Services Committees, and then tomorrow we're going to be with the Department of the Army um, because they have a service, they have a program, an educational program that they believe um, can help uh, more young men and women uh, pass the military entrance exam. 
Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Just a reminder, we do have a very special show next week. We will be moving the Nonprofit Coach to Monday, June 20th, uh, where Edith Falk and Peter Fissinger from, uh, will be presenting the nation's first look at the Giving USA report. Mark McIntyre, thank you very much from Russ Reed Company, the Government Affairs Office in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Of course, the show will be podcast and available immediately following today's show. Mark, just in the last minute that we have, uh, just very quickly tell our listeners how they can reach you, Mark McIntyre, at Russ Reed. Yeah. The, the best way to reach me is uh, M McIntyre, M-C, capital I-N-T-Y-R-E, at RussReed.com. Uh, the phone that rings right at my desk is 202-912-8605. It occurs to me I may have said that too fast, so it's 202 912 Eight six zero five, and the um, my email address again is m mcintyre at russreed dot com. Mark, you did a fantastic job. Thank you, everyone. If you need any help in Washington D.C., make sure that you contact the Russ Reed Group. Thank you, everyone. See you on Monday. Take care. Thank you, Bye. Thanks.